the Psalms touch on so much that is honest and raw uh, of the human condition, the human, uh, the range of human emotions. It's honest. But what I also love is that while being honest about all the, hu- the, the things that we go through and think through and feel, it always brings us to that hope in God. So I love it. So I want to recommend to you, you know, get some time this summer. Spend a little time in your private devotions in the Psalms. You will not regret it. I wanted to open up with Psalm 8 because Psalm 8 describes two qualities of God that go to the center of of our created beings, what we're created for, who we are created to be, these two qualities of God really go to the center of what life is, what being human is, and what we long for in the deepest level. Those two things are God's transcendence and God's imminence. And that's two big words that essentially mean his greatness his largeness, and his nearness. He is great, he is near, and we need both. So let's read Psalm 8 together, and then we're going to work through it together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the, my translation says heavenly beings, some translations say a little lower than God. And crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we pray you bless this time and your beautiful word. In Jesus' name, amen. The main point of Psalm 8 can be found in its first and last verse. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then he repeats it at the end of the psalm. Now in the English, and I forget this. You probably know this, but if you're like me, you forget this. In the English, it looks like uh, the word Lord is repeated. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic. But in the Hebrew, they aren't the same word. And that's differentiated. You'll notice in your translation that the first word, Lord, is capitalized, all capitalized. And when you see that in the Bible, Lord, all capitalized, it is the Hebrew substitute for the word Yahweh or Jehovah. 
And so in the Hebrew, the original, originally this would have read, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The Hebrews didn't want to use that word, that name, in vain, so they changed it to Lord, but it is Yahweh, O Yahweh. The name Yahweh first appears in Exodus chapter 3 when God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And God tells Moses to go to his people and tell them that God is going, the God of their fathers is going to deliver them from oppression and slavery in Egypt. And Moses asks, he says, when I go to them, and tell them the God of their fathers is going to deliver them, who should I tell them is sending me? What is your name? And God says to him, tell them, I am who I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh, which sounds in the Hebrew like I am sent you. The name Yahweh speaks of the eternal unchanging, immutable nature and person of God. God is eternal. He is forever. He is unchanging. God is never improving. God is never learning. God is never getting more wise or more information. He's never growing in any characteristic. He's never becoming more loving or less loving. God is unchangeable because he is and he was and he always will be perfect in all his qualities. God is, I am, the definition of reality. His being is reality. All reality flows from him. There is nothing that exists apart from him. I am that I am. And so the psalmist praises Yahweh and says, How majestic is your name, that is your being, your name, your being, who you are in all the earth. You are over all majestic. You are reigning everything exists because of you. The mountains and oceans and the clouds and the animal kingdom, every human being live under your majestic rule. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And then the psalmist says, you have set your glory above the heavens. When we look at the heavens, we see a glimpse of God's glory. God is transcendent. He is greater, vaster, bigger, more glorious than everything else combined. Words are going to fail us, but God is transcendent. Whatever your image of God is, He is infinitely bigger than what you think He is. God is transcendent. And here's something that we really want to hold on to. Our souls long for transcendence. We long for things that are greater and bigger and more glorious than us and everything going on around us. 
We may not realize it, but we long for something that is bigger than our daily problems or daily joys. Something that is bigger than the things we're pursuing, bigger than whatever we achieve, bigger than our successes, bigger than our failures. We long for something that's bigger than the news cycle. Amen? Something bigger than our politicians or Hollywood megastars or athletes. Something bigger. And we long for the transcendence of God. You have set your glory above the heavens His glory transcends the sun's glory. It dwarfs the glory of our solar system or the galaxies or the greatest stars in the universe. Yahweh, how majestic is your name. But then in verse 2, the psalmist describes God's glory and strength by talking about babies. And that's a real like, you could get, you know, whiplash from going from the glory above the heavens and then talking about babies because we don't typically think of babies and strength together. He says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now listen, I love babies. I truly do. When I I see babies, I I just find them so adorable. But when I have enemies and foes coming at me, it's not a baby I want next to me. I don't think of babies as line of first defense when I need strength against foes and enemies. Babies are the picture of helplessness, dependence, weakness. How does God establish strength out of the mouth of babes? How does God silence his enemies through the words of babies and infants? We get a glimpse of this in Matthew chapter 21. You remember as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds are gathering around with this expectation that he is the Savior come and children begin to cry out. Matthew chapter 21 verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Then he quotes Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. He quotes Psalm 8, but he changes it a little bit. Instead of establishing strength, he says you have prepared praise. The strength is the praise. God prepares praise out of the mouths of babies and infants and little children. Their praise of Jesus as the son of David, as the one who was to come, was acknowledging Jesus as Yahweh, I am. And Jesus says their praise 
is right and it is good. It is that praise that will destroy and silence the enemy. And indeed, in Matthew uh, 21, the chief priests and the scribes are silent to Jesus' response. Their mouths are silenced by the praise of these children lifting up Jesus. And this is something that's so important to know about who God is. He uses our weakness to display his strength. Weakness is our superpower when we lean upon God for his strength. When we cry out to God for deliverance, when we call upon God in that situation, our enemy may be a situation coming at us. It may be a need coming at us. It may be a demonic attack upon us. It may be somebody who's opposing us. Our need, our fight, is never against flesh and blood. But our weapon is to call upon God, to declare our need by depending on Him and praising God and asking him to deliver us. In verse 3, we see another important aspect of God's transcendent greatness. Verse 3, when I look at your heavens, so we're back to the heavens, <clears throat> the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? <clears throat> this is, a, I love this passage. Uh, because it tells us, and there are other passages that tell us, that the heavens are the work of God's fingers. With, with his hands, God set the moon, and the sun, and the stars in its place. That's transcendence. Transcendence. Like we cannot imagine. And the more we understand the vastness of the universe, the more we see the transcendence of God. <clears throat> Here's a couple points of fact for you. The observable universe for us, what we can observe is about 93 billion light years in span. In 1977, NASA sent out the Voyager 1 traveling at 38,000 miles per hour. It officially left our solar system in August of 2012. And currently <clears throat> is roughly about 14.5 billion miles away from the Earth. That's far away, isn't it? It's outside of our solar system. It is far away. Traveling at 38,000 miles per hour, it is by far the furthest man-made object out in space. And so that seems really far away, but when... To give us an idea of the size and scope of what we're talking about, <clears throat> for the Voyager 1 traveling at 38,000 miles per hour to reach the, the closest star to our solar system will take 73,000 years. That's the closest star. 73,000 years at 38,000 miles per hour. I wager we're not going to be here, well, we will be, but not in these bodies 73,000 miles from, or years from now. 
The universe is incomprehensible in its size. It is transcendent in its size, in its magnitude, in its majesty. And God, like a master craftsman, he built it with his fingers. Transcendence. Have you ever stood outside at night and looked up into the star? What do you feel? What do you feel? If we think about the size and the the scope of the universe, we could feel incredibly small, amen? I mean, we're just a speck of dust living on a speck of dust in a solar system the size of a speck of dust. And we start to feel pretty insignificant and pretty small. Which leads the psalmist to ask the question, question we might ask ourselves when we're standing outside at the night in the night air looking at the stars looking at the moon he says what is man that you are mindful of and the son of man that you care for him God why do you care for us we're so small you see along with the transcendence we long for imminence we long to connect with that transcendence in a a close and intimate way. We want God to be great, but we also want him to be near. We want God to be vast, but in a way that draws us near to him. We want our lives to have, as we look at his vastness and his transcendence, we want our lives to have a connection with that that gives us meaning purpose rather than filling us with an emptiness last fall Janice and I had the wonderful opportunity to travel and one of the places we were able to travel to was the Grand Canyon and I recommend if you ever get a chance to go there it is so worth it but as we stand on the edge of this the Grand Canyon and see the size and scope and you can never see it all I mean you're just seeing a part of it but the size and the scope and the breadth of it and the beauty of it is is quite breathtaking and you stand there and you're just like you're looking at this transcendent beauty this amazing beauty and it's refreshing it's refreshing to kind of come out of our daily schedules and our daily concerns and our daily preoccupations and look at something so much bigger and more beautiful and glorious. It's refreshing to come out of that and to see something so much bigger and greater than us. But even then, there's something in us that wants to connect. That beauty, that transcendence to our lives. And so for us, that experience was far more powerful, taking in its grandeur and its beauty and its vastness because I could share that experience with Janice. It wasn't just me looking at it, it's us sharing it together, connecting with it, sharing the joy of this beauty together. And as C.S. Lewis says, when we share in something beautiful, it multiplies the joy when we have someone to share, it connects it to us and to our lives and gives us meaning. It fills us with a sense of meaning. But here's the thing, and this is what is so important. Pride wants us to derive our significance by saying we are great and we are awesome. Look at me. 
And so I don't know what that would look like in front of the Grand Canyon, me shouting out, I am great. And everybody looking around would say, you are insane. But pride wants us to live our lives saying, if I can be great and people can applaud me and I make a lot of money and everybody and I'm living this great life and a pride puffs up, puffs up. God says, no, that's not how you're going to find significance in your life. Because here is the truth. You are not great. You are not awesome. I mean, there is a way you are. But there is a way, but in the scope of things, we are not great and awesome and powerful and amazing. That's not where we derive our significance from. God doesn't turn to us and say, you are so significant because you are so amazing. No, God says, you are so significant because I love you. Your life is significant and worth so much and precious because I love you. When we look at the cross, we don't see, yeah, Jesus died because we were worth it. We deserved it. We don't see our value, and I'm talking specifically, Jesus didn't die because we deserved it. We earned it. He died because he loves us. Romans 5, 8 says, in this God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died us see that'll center your soul way more than trying to think you're awesome and convince yourself you're awesome and great and amazing no just understand this you are loved you are precious you are a treasure to God because he loves you and that centers our soul on his transcendence and also connects us with his eminence. What is man that you are mindful of him? Why do you care for us? It's not because we're big and awesome. It's because he loves us so much. God's greatness is not only in his transcendence, but in his eminence. He is a God who draws near to the brokenhearted. He is a God who draws near to comfort the hurting. He is a God who rushes to the defense of the defenseless. He is a God who strengthens the weak. He is a God who loves the unlovely. He is a God who cleanses and forgives the sinner. What an awesome God he is. Verse 5, we come into a little bit of controversy. So controversial, many translators changed a word because they couldn't believe it said what it said. Yet you have made him a lower, a little lower than the, raise your hand if your Bible says heavenly beings or angels. Raise your hand. All right. All right. Raise your hand if your Bible says God, a little lower than God. So a lot more say heavenly beings or angels. And have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, I'm no scholar, but the Hebrew word there is Elohim. And it's only ever used to describe God. So it's translated God. The translators had a hard time believing that the psalmist is saying, God has made mankind a little lower than God. So they changed it in many translations 
to say, God, God has made us a little lower than angels. And that feels about right, doesn't it? Angels are more powerful than us. They're more glorious than us, but we're kind of tagging along behind them. It feels a little more right to our thinking and sensibilities. I don't want to get too deep into the controversy, but I personally believe that the word Elohim says exactly what it says. You have made him a little lower than God. What does that mean? Well, think of this. There's no other creation on earth which God has so closely identified with and united himself with that he has become it. But Jesus will forever and always be a man. The Son of God himself became a man, not just took on the form of man, but became a man, and he will always and forever be God eternal and man. And that has elevated our position. The Bible says well higher than the angels because Paul says one day we will judge angels. They won't judge us. God has brought us into his family, not as servants, but as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters of Christ. So he has elevated us. So I don't personally struggle because of what God has done in the gospel was saying, you have made man a little lower than God. You brought us about as close to the Trinity as we could come and still be a creation. What an awesome description of God's love. And he has given us, verse 6, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, Whatever passes along the paths of the sea, God has given us dominion over the earth. He's put it under our feet, not to abuse it, but to steward it, to caretake it, to treat it well as caretakers. We are meant to leave the world better than we found it. We are meant to be, in that sense, environmentalists. We are to care about our environment and about the world. But it's not just trees and animals. We are to leave our patch of this earth better than we found it. We are to husband the garden that God has put us in. God has put us here with a purpose, with authority, and with responsibility, and we love that. We are created for that. God has created us to want to be productive, to want to work, to want to do things and accomplish things, and to have stewardship over our patch of the earth. We don't want to drift aimlessly through life. We don't want to just make it from birth to death and that's it. We want to leave the world a little better. It's been built into our hearts. God has built that in. And so there's meaning in that. So listen, our greatest meaning, our greatest value is in Christ. And he is the source of all our our meaning and significance because we're created in God's image. But I want to tell you that there's also meaning in the job and the responsibility you have, whatever that is. Whatever God has given you to do, there's great meaning in that as you do it as unto the Lord. Whether it be a, a out, of, out of the homework or 
you're, you're a homemaker or uh, a mom or a dad raising kids, you're uh, a worker at a job, you're caring for family, the relationships we build, the people we influence, there's such meaning in that. There's such meaning in that. And that's what God has called us to do, to leave this world better than we found it. And so the psalmist closes once again by magnifying the greatness, the transcendence of God. And we're reminded we live our best life when we live to love God and bring Him glory. When we worship Him. You know, that's what worship is. We talk about worship and, you know, I don't know if you're a great singer or not a great singer. And people don't sing a lot in society today, you know, but... Worship is simply seeing the worthiness, the worthship of God, how worthy he is, how much he's worth, how great he is, the transcendence of God, but also the imminence of God that he loves me and just worshiping him. Doesn't have to be music. Does have to be from the heart. As we close, I want to just share uh, one thought of application because what do we do with this? Well, there's so many ways this can apply and so many things that this should be a part of our thinking in Scripture. But here's, here's one thing that I want to encourage you to as you apply this. I hope that, I hope that all of you have uh, a daily habit where you get alone with the Lord and His Word. I hope that you have that. If you don't, I want to really encourage you to make that a part of your day. It, it, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes to make a part of your day to get alone with God in his word. It'll center your soul, it'll feed your soul, and you'll connect with God. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. See, our souls long for God's transcendence. We long for something so much greater than us. But we also long for God imminent, close to us. Both are needed. Both are needed. And we're going to feel adrift and unconnected and have you ever had just like this sense what is life about and you long for things you never get and you get something you want and it doesn't fulfill and you wonder what is my life and sometimes maybe we feel discouraged maybe even depressed what's life we look in the stars and we feel empty and we feel so small oh our souls long to be anchored and connected with the transcendent God who's also so near to us in love. So I want to recommend to you, and I've just tried to start doing this because I heard somebody recommend this to me recently, take five or ten minutes a day and get quiet. Just get quiet. There's so much noise around it, but just get quiet with God. Grab a, a you know, a, find a Bible passage that speaks of his transcendence on a given morning. On another morning, find a Bible passage that speaks of his imminence and his love and his nearness for you. And just keep quiet. And don't think about the day. Don't think about the problems. Don't think about the challenges. Just keep quiet. And think about God. Let your soul gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his transcendence and in his imminence. Every day try to do that. 
Maybe you take a walk. Maybe you go to the ocean. I wish we had one close by. Look at a mountain. Sit on your back porch. Whatever it is, just keep quiet and let your soul soak in God. And it'll help center your soul.